he does not leave us to live the Christian life by our own power. It's the very opposite. He takes us by the hand and walks with us each day and increases our love for him and holds us close and forgives us and takes us to a whole new level. That's grace. That's grace. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Today we are turning for our scripture reading to the New Testament book of Romans. So if you have your Bible, can you turn with me please to Romans chapter 1 as we read verses 1 through 7. You'll find it on page 1746, 1746 of the church Bible. Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome begins his epistle with these words. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. Well, here we are, the first Sunday of a new year. A year packed with possibilities and potential. And if you're anything like me, you will have made several New Year resolutions and will have already broken several of them. Keeping New Year resolutions is not an easy thing. It demands resolve and commitment, dedication, sacrifice, determination. And usually I begin the year full of great intent but about three weeks into it, my good intentions become diverted to something else and life becomes busy and I forget what my New Year resolutions were. Back in 2010, I got an email from a friend and she said to me, Richard, I'm sending this off to Santa and I thought you would enjoy it. And here it comes. Dear Santa, please let me have a slim body and a large bank account in the coming year. Last year, you mixed these up badly. <laughs> it is so easy to begin with good intents and then as we go through the year, well, you know the scenario. But if I was to ask you this morning for three or four resolutions for the rest of the year, what would they be? Now, don't immediately jump to the obvious ones. Pause, think. This is for the entire 
year. Three or four things that you think, yep, that's manageable, I probably could do that. What would they be? I suspect some of you are already saying, Richard, I would really like to spend more time with my children, whether they be wee ones or grown adults. That's probably on the list somewhere for some of, some of us. Secondly, some of you are saying, Richard, if I had my choice of any, it would be to spend more time with my spouse. Slow things down. Enjoy each other. Work on my marriage. That's what I'd like to do. Others of you are saying, Richard, I agree with numbers one and two, but for me, the one I really want is consistency in my prayer life. At each day, I would be able to manage my time so well that I would take a portion of that day and just spend it quietly alone with the Lord, just praying, thinking, engaging with Him, spending time in His presence. That would be the number one thing for me this year. And others, I wonder, are saying, Richard, for me, it would be to know my Bible better. That's what I would want, to have time again on a regular basis, to spend within its pages, to read again of his love and his grace and engage with him and to understand who he is in all of his wonder and majesty. That, for me, would be a real accomplishment if I could do that this year. And others of you are saying, yeah, I agree with all of that and realistically I would start by being at church regularly. Richard, I'm quite ashamed actually that in years gone by I was there every Sunday. Then as life got busy and things happened and circumstances changed and children came along and grandchildren came along and sports events and other things and if I'm honest, I might get once a month, maybe eight times a year. And I know I should never have ended up there, but that's the way it is. If any of these describe you this morning, let me invite you please to come with me into the book of Romans. To begin a new year, a new study, and prayerfully be saying, Father, what is it that you are saying to us as individuals and as the people of God in this place for the year that lies ahead? For the next three months, we will be spending our mornings in Romans, January, February, and March. We'll cover chapters 1 to 6. Then we'll take a break and we'll come back to Romans next January when in 2015 we'll tackle chapters 7 through 12 and then in 2016 we will tackle chapters 13 through 16 and bring it to a conclusion. Now you may be thinking, Richard, over three years? Well, that's not the record for Romans by a long way. Martin Lloyd-Jones on a Sunday evening 
preached on Romans for 13 years. He would go for eight months, he would break for four or five weeks, he'd come back and tackle another section and break and tackle another section. Donald Barnhouse, when he first went to 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, he said, for my first three and a half years on a Sunday morning, every Sunday, he didn't break at all, every Sunday was in the book of Romans. Why Romans? Well, Romans is, for many, their favorite book. J. Sidlow Baxter, British theologian, pastor, author of more than 30 books, called Romans Paul's magnum opus, his greatest work. I think that's accurate. John Christostom, who was the finest preacher of the early church fathers in the 4th century, he described Romans as the cathedral of my beliefs, and he read it in its entirety once a week. Samuel Taylor Coleridge, English poet, described Romans as the most profound writing in existence. That's quite something coming from a classical poet who, whose business is words and sentence construction and appreciation of language. The greatest writing in existence. Martin Luther, whom we'll talk about in a couple of weeks' time, described it as the masterpiece of the New Testament. Vernon McGee, a colorful American preacher, he described it as the greatest document on earth salvation. And each of them is absolutely right. As we get into Romans Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, what you will discover is this. It will speak to your heart. It will challenge your mind. It will shape who you are. It will allow you to respond to the challenges and contingencies that come your way throughout the rest of this year. At other times, it will bless and encourage you in a way you never thought possible. And it will certainly challenge you to think. There will be some Sunday mornings I will look out and I thoroughly expect to see you scratching your head thinking, I never knew that. That doesn't make sense. How is that possible? On other occasions, it will challenge what you were brought up to believe. At other times, you will want to leap up out of your seat when the convicting truth of God invades your life and you think, why didn't someone tell me that before now? Why did I never see this? That's Romans. That's Romans. It's Paul's most profound writing. In Romans, Paul is at his best, if I can even use that language. It is his most formal and systematic of his writings. He wrote it to the church in Rome in the spring of the year AD 56 or 57. If you want to read up more, you'll find it in Paul's third missionary journeys around Acts chapter 19. He spent three months in Corinth. And in the spring, the weather was so wet in Corinth, he couldn't travel. And so he had three months isolated in Corinth to read and write and think and put together his masterpiece. And it is exactly that. Romans. Outstanding at every level. We will not rush our way through it. We will take our time. 
And one of the things you will discover is that there is a structure to Romans. Chapters 1 to 8 is the doctrinal section. Chapters 12 to 16, the practical section. And the sections in between, chapters 9 to 11, look at the place of Israel in the redemptive purposes and plans of God. It is a remarkable book. It's also been said that the letter to the Romans is the premier book in the New Testament for Christian doctrine and truth. Let me say it again. The premier book of the New Testament for Christian doctrine and truth. Chuck Swindoll described it this way. He said, what the Constitution is to our nation, Romans is to the Christian. And that's certainly the case. So having said all that, by way of introduction and background, and please forgive me, I took a little more than we normally would, but we're beginning a new year and a fresh series of studies. Let's turn to the text. And it's Romans 1, verse 1. And he writes, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul didn't know the church in Rome terribly well. He did not establish the church there. He certainly knew a number of people in it. And chapter 16, he gives list after list of the folks he knew there, and there are plenty of them. But he didn't know the wider church. And he wanted to begin by introducing himself, and he does what all writers of antiquity do. They begin with their own name, Paul, and then he adds, a servant of Christ Jesus. And a number of you will know this already, so please forgive me if this is redundant. But the term servant can also be translated slave, a bond slave. A slave, as we know, in the days of the Roman Empire, was someone whose life was utterly subservient to his master. Utterly subservient. No salary, no rights, no opinions, no views, no freedom. A slave was considered as mere property to be disposed of at its master's use. So why does Paul begin Paul a slave, a servant? And beginning this way, he uses a title of incredible humility. He describes himself as utterly insignificant. Utterly insignificant. At the beginning of his masterpiece, the greatest theological treatise of the New Testament, he describes himself as utterly insignificant because Paul knows that his very reason for writing was not to draw attention to himself but to draw attention to the living God. And so he begins, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Then he adds, called to be an apostle. That word called, we're going to come up against again and again and again and again in the book of Romans. Called to be an apostle. In other words, set apart for a particular purpose. Called to be a saint. In fact, later on you will hear echoes of it, even in these first seven verses. When he says, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Did you notice it? Did you see those four words that could very quickly skim over and not even see? Look at it again. Called to be an apostle. Not called by a committee. 
Not called by a congregation or a denomination, but called of God. Twelve original apostles. Judas took his own life. One was selected in his place and Paul was added. And why is that important? Why is it important he establishes his apostolic authority at the outset of this letter for this reason? That what was about to come, comes with apostolic authority. In other words, Paul is saying this, I belong to the apostles, those whom Christ had handpicked, those whom Christ had not only called, but commissioned and inspired and enabled to fulfill the role of apostle. Paul, of course, was commissioned by Christ on the Damascus Road. And he writes, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. And that's the point I wanted you not to miss, the gospel of God. We tend not to think too much of the gospel of God. We think of the gospel of Matthew, or the gospel of Mark, or the gospel of Luke, or the gospel of John, or the gospel of the church, or even the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of God. Do you understand what's happening here? The gospel of God. His love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and His transforming power and His love for this world was birthed in the heart of God Himself. It wasn't that He created the world, wound it up and left it to go on and sat back and when things got bad then invited Jesus to come into the world and solve its problems. That's not a biblical understanding. The opposite is the case. That before the foundation of the world, God loved his children so much. He wanted to create a world for them in order that they might be born into it and come to know him. And he set them apart so he might lavish his love upon them. That's what he means, set apart, to be a saint. That's quite a good feeling at the beginning of a new year to think of the countless millions who have ever lived. He set his love and affection on you. And he set you apart that you would know him. So please take this away this morning that when you leave here and continue into this new month and this new year, settle it in your mind once and for all. He loves you with an everlasting love. And He orchestrated and engineered your life in order that you might come to know Him and walk with Him all your days. That's what Paul is saying. I was called, I was set apart. And throughout the rest of the epistle, he will say to those in Rome and countless millions of Christians since, this is true for you as well. So the next time you're discouraged in your faith, the next time you feel like throwing it all up and moving on and forgetting it and you want no more to do with it, understand this. That regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you want to give up, He will consistently love you forever. Forever! That's the grace of God. The times you get it wrong, 
and sin badly. And Satan comes and whispers in your ear, who do you think you are? Yeah, I remember at the beginning of the year you promised this and that. And you turn to Romans. And he loves you with an everlasting love. And he set you apart for himself. That's the power of the gospel. That's what Romans is saying. The gospel of God is for you. And the rest of this epistle, the rest of the next 16 chapters, unpacks that phrase, the gospel of God. Donald Barnhouse, whom I mentioned earlier, said this. Love that reaches up is adoration. Love that reaches out is affection. But love that stoops is grace. That's why Paul writes, we received grace. Let me close this morning with a challenge and then an illustration and I'll wrap it up. In your bulletin this morning you'll find an insert. If you're watching on television, you won't have this insert, but if you contact us on the email that comes up at the end of this program, we will be glad to send it to you. Take out your insert this morning and turn to the side that says Romans. And you'll see there a list of dates for January and February and March. And next to it, you'll see some passages of Scripture. If you don't have a Bible reading plan... In other words, you don't have a plan that each day you will take five minutes to read the scriptures. Let me encourage you to use this bookmark. Slip it in your Bible, take it home, and for the next week, be reading Romans 1, 1 through 7. The week after, Romans 1, 8 through 17. And what you will discover is this, that the challenges that come your way the blessings, the encouragements, the issues you have to face, you will then face them in light of the passages of Scripture you're reading that week. And the Word of God will begin to shape and refine your life and enable you to respond in a way you never thought possible. And that's there as an aid memoir for you to begin to read the Scriptures regularly. I want to confess this this morning. I cannot wait to see what God will do when an entire congregation of people at 8.30, 10.45 and 11 o'clock, hundreds upon hundreds are spending time in God's Word in the same passages of Scripture week after week for the next three months. Turn that card over. And on the back, you will find, I promise. And what I'd like you to do is this. Not only take it away for the scripture readings, but take it away from the new year, for the new year resolutions. This week, think of three or four areas of your spiritual life that need to change. Maybe radical change. For others, it may be just bringing it back on track. For some, they may need refinement. But write down your three or four resolutions for your spiritual life for the new year. And take your time. Please don't rush into it in the next five minutes. Take your time. Think seriously and prayerfully 
Begin to say, Father, what are the areas in my life that need to change? Bring it back next Sunday. I'm going to ask next Sunday for a show of hands for those of you who took it and filled it out. And I know immediately that means that 50% of you will not be here next Sunday. But man up, it's time for the walk to equal the talk. Fill it out and prayerfully be saying, Father, where are you taking me in this new year? Finally, let me close and bring things together with verse 7. When Paul writes to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God. I've told you this before, but it seems apropos this morning. In the early 1980s, 1982, I worked offshore in the oil rigs off the North Sea in Aberdeen and I worked on the Magnus Platform. The Magnus Platform was larger than the Empire State Buildings. The oil platforms all over the world are significant construction projects. I was there for about five or six months. I would work two weeks off and two weeks on shore and then two weeks off. And each night when you came across, you worked from 7 in the morning till 7 at night for the 14 days, you would come across the bridge to the barge while the platform was under construction. The mail would be given out at 7 each evening. The first thing you did when you got your mail was not go to the dining hall to have your meal, not go to the shower to be changed, but take your mail and go and lie in your bunk and open up your mail. As soon as I opened up my mail... I had a quick glance at it and then I would hold it to my face and I would sniff. I would go <sniffs> because it was from Ruth <laughs> and it smelled of her. And she would tell me how much she loved me and how much she missed me. Couldn't wait till I got home. I still have those love letters. And over these next few weeks and months, as we spend Sunday mornings in the book of Romans, please don't treat it as ink on a page, but as a love letter from God. Not to the Romans, although it was, but more personally to you. And my sense is this, that those New Year resolutions you long to stick with, and bring change into your life, they will take on a whole new meaning as you begin this year walking closer with Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for these opening verses of the Epistle to the Romans. Father, may it indeed be a love letter to us. Write it on our hearts. May it sink into the deepest recesses of our minds. And most importantly of all, may we be obedient to all that you are calling us to be as we engage with your word. And Father, we ask that you would strengthen us for the year to come. Father, help us this week to very prayerfully, with deep sincerity and glad hearts, to jot down those resolutions that will change us spiritually because you are in the midst of them all. 
Father, bless us, please. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This broadcast is made possible by the generous contributions of our members and viewers like you. To purchase a DVD of today's message, please send a check or money order for $10 to First Presbyterian Church and include today's program number. For more information, call 864-672-1846 or visit our website at firstpresgreenville.org.